Well, picking up on the story of my life, um, I enjoyed my time home on leave, flew to Oakland, California on my way to Hawaii, uh, gonna learn how to surf and just do all kinds of cool things. But myself and many others got called to go into this office. We took our computer punch card with us. Uh, if you remember, those are about maybe three inches high, eight inches long, and all these little punch holes in there that didn't mean anything to me. But we went in one at a time and gave the, I don't know, army sergeant or whoever he was, our card, and he put it down on this grid and lined it up and handed it back to us and, and said, you know, you're going to Vietnam. And, you know, we left by another way. So the ones who were standing in line waiting uh, didn't, you know, get tipped off before they got there. Uh, but boy, that sure changed my life. Uh, it was like somebody had punched me in the stomach. And, you know, you're, you're thinking, you know, there must be some mistake. You know, this can't be right. You know, what's happening here? You know, I'm supposed to be going and working on my tan and just laying on the beach. And everything changed. Well, we did make it to Hawaii because we stopped there in the middle of the night to refuel for an hour or so. So I served with the 1st Cav in Vietnam. Uh, we traveled all up and down the country, started uh, kind of mid-country and then went up near the DMZ and um, way in Fubai, Quezon, um, bailed out the Marines in Quezon and uh, ended up kind of southwest of um, Saigon and uh, before I came home, went to uh, Singapore on my R&R &R for, I don't know, five days or whatever it was. So I got home after a year, got married, and spent a year in the Army uh, until I was discharged, was at uh, Fort Belvoir, Virginia, working as a supply sergeant at uh, Officer Candidate School. Uh, got out of the Army and I worked at uh, Chautauqua Malded Milk. It was a place that took in milk from the farmers, uh, some in bulk trucks that got picked up, some in cans, and they you know, processed the milk, uh, sent cream to different ice cream places and um, condensed milk to places. Uh, then I worked at Belknap Business Forms. It was a place where they printed forms for businesses. Um, worked there for, I don't know, three years, I guess, maybe. And then I went to work at the uh, Sheriff's Department. I was a corrections officer. And during my time there, I got divorced. I met my now wife and um, we got married. October 2nd, 1977, I committed my life to the Lord. Uh, in July of 1989, I um, became part-time pastor at a small church out in the country and uh, was there for two years. And then I became a pastor full-time. Uh, during my part-time, I was working at the post office part-time as, as well. Um, so then I spent eight years, or seven years, I guess it was, in just one place, and we went to 
Oh, we went to Delaware, then we went back to New York, then we went to um, Delaware, to Maryland, and then to Delaware. And I retired, and here I am. Okay, still trying to get the Word of God out and reaching more people than I did when I was in the pulpit. But praise God. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for our life's journeys. And Lord, the, the twists and turns that are there, some we can see coming. And Lord, some that were unexpected and we didn't realize what was happening until it was happening. So Father, just help us to, uh, to know that you're guiding our lives and you're directing our path. And Lord, to, to follow where you're trying to lead. So, Lord, as you lead us through your scriptures, Father, help us to see today what you want us to find. Lord, help us to see that um, this letter was written to believers many, many years ago. And so it's written to us as believers today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, in this chapter, John is definitely writing to believers and talking about what that belief means and how they should be living their lives. So he also reminds us that our love should not only be just for God, but for everyone. Uh, that difficult thing that's out there for us. So I'm, I'm gonna be taking most of the scripture from the New Living Translation. Uh, you know, maybe here and there I'll get something else, but verse one of First John chapter five says, everyone, who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. John again is emphasizing that package deal. Loving God equals loving God's children. That means this to me. No matter what church it is that you call your church, I'm to love you too. You know, if you're a Baptist or a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Catholic or a non-denominational, no matter what color your skin is, uh, no matter if the service you go to is in English or Spanish or Korean or whatever, or if the service you go to is a traditional service with, you know, the hymns or it's contemporary with drums and guitars and whatever else, male or female pastor, you know, some people have trouble with that, but... You know, God calls his children to do different things in different ways. Um, maybe your pastor hollers and runs up and down the, the, the pew. Uh, maybe he wears a suit or a robe or maybe just a shirt and a pair of jeans. Uh, whether the, the King James Bible is used or the, the message is used and everything else in between. Whether the church that you're going to, you know, maybe you're one of... 20, 25 members, or maybe the church you go to, you know, has thousands of members and has services on Saturday and Sunday and maybe Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever during the week. Uh, doesn't matter, you know, what uh, hymns are being sung to a pipe organ or what songs are being sung to a guitar and drums. Uh, and whether they believe the gifts are for today or not, I still gotta love you.
because you're a child of God and you have to love me. That may be harder. So if the Spirit of the Lord is there, there needs to be love shown. Got it? Verses 2 and 3. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, the world would disagree with that last statement. His commands are not burdensome. Okay, because the world says, you know, the Bible's nothing but a bunch of do's and don'ts. And, you know, there's all these rules, you know, don't do this and got to do that. And yeah, going on and on and on. And from outside, you know, in the world, yeah, it just may kind of look that way. But if you spend your time doing the do's, you don't mind not doing the don'ts. Because it's all about what you concentrate on. Okay, if we look at the don'ts, nobody should be doing them anyways. You know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't be jealous. Okay, that's common sense. All right, that's come from scripture. But a lot of it seems like there's a shortage of it. You know, most countries have laws that are written around those commandments. And the do's is, you know, put God first in your life and respect him. Respect your parents. You know, take the day off. Take time to rest. You know, sounds like a pretty good life to me. So if we live by these do's and don'ts, life should be good. And it will be easier to love others. Verse 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. This happens when God's children follow through with, with what they've been told to do. And it takes faith to do that. Sometimes a lot more faith than others. You know, I grew up in a non-believing, unchurched family. You know, they weren't hostile against religion. You know, my parents never spoke out against the church or the Lord or anything. I remember one time my, my father saying, you know, if I were going to go to church, I'd go to the Catholic church because I think they really believe what they believe. Mm, I'm not going to go there. Okay. But I know that my parents, they just didn't see a need for it. They didn't have time for it. You know, they were working and they were busy doing other stuff and you know, I know some can't say that. You know, some people, their family was against organized religion. There's a, a friend of our son's that he says, you know, I'm not going to force my kids to go to church like my parents forced me to go. Okay, and you know, some kids grow up that way. You know, my kids, it was just expected of them. I mean, from shortly after birth, they were in church. And, you know, the years that they were growing up and I was a pastor, they just knew that's what they did. But some families are not like that. You know, we had a Christian bookstore in the mall, and there was a, a woman that would come in 
every once in a while on Friday nights. That was their night to go out, her husband to dinner and to do some shopping. And she would come into the store, <coughs> excuse me, and she would stand down at the end of the, uh, the card display because she was a little lady and she could stand there and you couldn't see her from outside in the mall because she was hiding from her husband. And she said if her husband knew that she was in there, that, you know, he'd get upset and that she had to sneak out and go to Bible study. And so, you know, some grew up that way. Some lived that way as adults. You know, and some people that listen to my podcast, they live in countries where Christians are not accepted. You know, Christianity is outlawed and they take risks. You know, and so this is where our faith gets tested and gets stretched and gets strengthened. Verse 5. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, if you're going to win a battle, you got to have Christ on your side. So if you do not know Christ as your Savior and have the Holy Spirit, you're going into battle unarmed. It's like taking a knife to a gunfight. Okay, those that think, you know, I've been a good person. You know, I, I give money to charities and, you know, I always buy Girl Scout cookies and, you know, I coach Little League and, you know, on and on. You know, unfortunately, they're doomed. You know, when David went to face Goliath, he was armed, not with the world's weapons. Okay, he didn't have a sword or a spear or a shield. All he had was a sling and stones. He was armed with the Spirit of God. That's how he defeated Goliath. The world thought, there's no way David's going to win. He is going to get killed and we are going to be, you know, slaves to the Philistines. That's because they didn't know the power of God. Verse 6. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood, and the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it was his testimony. There's a lot in that verse. Okay? Jesus' ministry began with his water baptism, and his ministry on earth ended on the cross with blood. And John's also making reference to this because of the false teachers. Because back in John 1.1, 1, 1, He's emphasizing the fact that Jesus was man and God both at the same time while he was on earth. The false teachers, the Gnostics, did not and do not believe that. So here John wants to make that point one more time. As far as the Spirit testifying to the truth of Jesus, well, number one, the Spirit descends on Jesus at his water baptism. And secondly, the Spirit, the Spirit continues to confirm to believers that Jesus is Lord. Okay? I'm not going to go any deeper than that because this verse is a message all in itself. Okay, verses 7 and 8. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. 
So why is three witnesses important? Glad you asked. Okay, according to the Old Testament law, two or more witnesses were necessary to find someone guilty or to prove that something was correct or not. Okay, so that's why we have the three witnesses. Okay, we read about the three witnesses in many places throughout the New Testament. In verse 9, it says, Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about his Son. Okay, so where and when does God testify about his Son? Well, first of all, in the last three verses that we looked at, but let me go to John's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. Okay, Jesus is speaking to the, the Jewish leaders here. And this is what he says. If I were to testify on my, my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me. I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified, testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one who sent me. There's a lot to take in there. The point Jesus is making is this. Through my messages and my miracles, there's all the proof you need because it all came from God. But they chose to not believe over and over again. These Jewish leaders and scriptural scholars, they just never got it. The you and I of the day, the common people, they believed. They heard Jesus and they believed. They saw the miracles that he did and they believed. Many of the highly educated today think they're just too educated to believe. They're willing to go to hell to prove that they're right. Verse 10. All who believe in the Son of God in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. It's hard to believe that men that knew the scriptures were not able to figure it out. How could they see what Jesus was doing and not want to investigate it more? Why didn't they go to Nazareth and check out Mary and Joseph's background? Why didn't they believe the testimony of so many that followed Jesus? You know, maybe being too 20th, 21st century here, 
you know, watch too many TV shows, I don't know. Or maybe God just hardened their hearts so they were not able to believe. Verse 11. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So this goes back to verse 10, where God's testimony concerning Jesus, his Son, gave one thing that needs to be understood. We're all going to have an eternal existence. Okay, we talk about, you know, believing in Jesus and having eternal life. That's right. Okay, because we will have eternal life with the Lord or we'll have eternal damnation in hell. Okay, so we're all going to spend eternity someplace. We get to choose. I think your best choice is to choose life. Verse 12 goes on to explain this a little further. It says, whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Duh. Pretty easy to understand. Okay, John's repeating what he said in his gospel in chapter 3, verse 36. It says that anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Oh, God's angry judgment. The King James says, the wrath of God abideth on him. Yeah, I want to be there. I don't want that to be me. Okay, It is not God's choice to judge in this way because he wants everybody to be saved. Peter tells us this in his second letter. Chapter 3, verse 9, it says, the Lord isn't really slow to about his promise, as some think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want any to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So it's all up to us to try and fulfill that, to try and get others to believe. In these next verses of 1 John 5, John's trying to wrap things up. In verse 13, he says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Okay, John's trying to make that clear. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for your sins, you've got eternal life. Okay, it was as simple as that. For some people, it's too simple. They can't grasp it. Verses 14 and 15. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we know that he will give us what we ask for. Okay, this is a reminder of what John said in his gospel. Chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. It says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. <clears throat> Jesus was reminding us and reminding me that this is asking for things that are within God's will. Okay, Not going to 
God and say, wow, I just saw my neighbor's new car. That is really sharp, you know, and it's a couple years newer than mine. I'd really like one just like that. You know, uh, clothes I wear, you know, they're not name brand, but boy, I could really get the chicks if I had some designer clothes to wear. And, you know, this house, you know, we've been here a few years and it just didn't meet our needs anymore. And, you know, a bigger house with a big lawn and a nice pool and all, you know, how about that, Lord? You know, Lord, just give me that perfect woman that I can spend the rest of my life with. You know, she's going to be beautiful and, you know, she's never going to age and she's going to agree with everything I say. You know, that's what I need, Lord. No, God wants us to have housing and clothes and transportation and maybe he wants us to have a spouse. But I don't think that's what Jesus or John had in mind when he wrote that. Verses 16 and 17. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Okay, this may be confusing. And I may or may not clear it up for you in some way. Okay, it has Bible scholars debating about this, you know, forever, what John meant when he said this. So possibility number one is John is referring to those that are getting caught up in the teachings of the Gnostics, the false teachers. And that's what he's meaning. Or the second possibility is he's talking about sinning against the Holy Spirit. Joseph, or Joseph Jesus tells us this in Mark chapter 3, verses 28-29. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Okay? So when he's, when John is talking in 16 and 17 about sin that leads to death, that may well be what he's talking about. So now it's as clear as mud to you. Okay? I'm going to allow you to come to your own conclusions there. Verse 18, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning for God's son holds them securely. The evil one cannot touch them. Okay, there's two things that I see in this verse. God's children do not make a practice of sinning. As believers, we should all be able to say amen to that because the word practice, I guess, kind of gives us a cushion, so to speak. You know, to me, it means that I don't intentionally practice sinning, but I certainly do still sin. So the next thing is, yeah, Jesus holds us securely in his hand, but sometimes we still kind of manage to wriggle loose and find ourselves in sin. Verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Both statements are very true. Satan has full control of this world, and it's getting worse daily. Okay, why? 
because God's children are often acting too wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Okay, we need to act in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, not react and say, well, huh, how did that happen? You know, what what happened? What you know, where where was I? No, you were right there. You were watching it happen and you didn't do anything. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and now live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. The world we live in is full of gods. Money, power, entertainment, possessions, fun, even family, you know, even religion are the false gods that the world chases after. But we know the true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and only He gives us eternal life with Himself. Finishing up, verse 21 of 1 John 5. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. We cannot allow anything to replace God, including some things that may seem good or seem you know, really harmless. But we belong to the Lord, period. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. You accept us and love us just like we are with all of the, the warts and bad things that are in our lives, that you love us. And I thank you for that. Because if you waited for me to be good, you'd never love me. So Father, help us as your children to know that that love is a constant thing. Even when we may not feel loved by anybody else, you still love us. I just praise you for that. Lord, there may be somebody listening that just really feels unloved, feels unlovable. And Lord, we may be unlovable by our family, our friends, our co-workers, our teachers, our neighbors, but we will never be unlovable to you. So Father, help that person to know the love that you have for them, that you loved them enough to send your son Jesus Christ to die for them. And that that would take away their sins, that they just need to believe that. Lord, help them to pray a prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I know there's only one Savior. That's Jesus Christ, your Son. I believe that he died on this cross for my sins. And that he rose from the dead. And he's coming again. Lord, help me to believe this in my heart and to receive the love that you have for me. In your son's name, amen. Amen.